The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for this time of worship. I want to begin by saying happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are listening and encourage all children who have a living mother uh, to make sure that you pause this day uh, and you reach out to her and if possible visit and see her uh, and encourage her and give thanks to God for your mother. Uh, It is a difficult day for us to to not be able to gather with you and to say that to you personally uh, and to be encouraged by you. And I'm just grateful to be a part of of a church uh, that has so many wonderful women who are a part, who godly women who serve their families and serve the church and serve uh, the Lord. Uh, This morning we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 24. I'm entitled this message, Gospel Ministry. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 12 to 24 so that we gain the context and understanding of what's going on. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, as supremely so toward you. We are not writing to you anything other than what you read and acknowledge, and I hope will fully acknowledge, just as you did partially acknowledge us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has been yes and has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Let's pray together. Lord, as we take up this text on this day, I pray that you would use it in each of our hearts and our hearts collectively together as the body of Christ and to each person listening, that you would cause us to reflect where we're at in this point in history as to how this text applies to us. 
And Lord, that you would lead us in the way everlasting. And that we would seek to be your people, uniquely giving ourselves to gospel ministry. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This, this past few weeks has made me feel as though things are back and forth, even in my own mind. Decision-making in light of COVID-19 and the regulations that have been imposed upon us have proven to be the most complicated experience in my life and ministry. And I am grateful to God for this text today. Now, many will see this text and do see this text as primarily a defense by Paul for his decision-making. He is clearly explaining the rationale for not coming to them, to Corinth, as he originally planned to do so. However, if you reflect on the text and look closely at his reasons, he's really explaining his approach to ministry. Now, I want to define some words here because we use them in ways that I don't think we always mean what we're saying. First, the word ministry. Ministry means service or a role done in service to others. So you, you, could, you could call most anything ministry, and according to just the word ministry, you would be right. That is, if you're serving someone, you're doing something, that's what ministry is. But gospel ministry is distinct. So I'm going to give a fairly healthy definition. Gospel ministry is service to others according to the dictates of Scripture— in the name of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God. So this is something distinct, and this is what Paul is describing here. Paul is describing gospel ministry. So let's just see the main idea for today. That gospel ministry centers on Christ and confidently trusts in the work of the Holy Spirit. First, gospel ministry centers on Christ. Paul begins with a Christ-centered boast. For our boast is this. You say, well, you're not supposed to use that word this way. I thought Christians were never supposed to boast. Well, Paul uses this word positively very often. In fact, others do as well in the Scripture. When it's negatively used, it refers to pride in your own merit. But when it's used positively, It's a legitimate pride based on what God has done or what God has enabled us to do. So Paul is boasting in what God has done and what God is doing in him. The testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely toward you. Now let's let's break these words down. Simplicity. For us, that just means simple. This word's deeper than that. It means holiness or personally dedicated to God. It's uniquely set aside. It's a simplicity in that it is a holiness before God. And godly sincerity, that means godly motives. 
something that is done straightforward with the motive that is from God. And he says, this is not earthly wisdom. Paul said, I didn't arrive at these things on my own. This wasn't generated from me. This is by the grace of God. This is not something that he earned or deserved. And it was supremely so toward you that by God's grace, it was toward them. Verse 13. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope that you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us. So Paul's saying, based on what I'm hearing, you understood me partially from before, and my prayer is that you're going to fully understand, and here's what he wants them to understand, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, at the coming of Jesus Christ, you will boast of us, and we will will boast of you. So Paul is so confident of the grace of God, of the work of the Lord in and through him and the team in which he ministers to and through the Corinthian church that at the coming of Jesus Christ, they will boast in one another. That means they're going to recognize what God has done and enabled them to do and what God has done and enabled others to do that has been had an effect on their life. He said something very similar to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Brothers and sisters, at the coming of Christ, there will be a full realization of the work of God in and through the church, leading us to a Christ-centered boasting. Now, why is that? There are two more reasons he gives here for this christ this gospel ministry that centers on Christ, and that's gospel-centered planning. He says, verse 15, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. It doesn't mean a second salvation. He just means that that just as he's talked about the grace of God working through him when he was there before, and he's, as the grace of God is working through him now, and then he's praying that when they come together, they're going to have a second experience together of God's grace at work among them. He says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia. So Macedonia is north of Greece. He wanted to come first to, to Corinth, then go to Macedonia, and then come back from Macedonia to Corinth before he left to go back to Judea. He says in verse 17, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? So here we see the accusation that Paul has found out that is coming from the Corinthian church to him, that he is vacillating, that, that he's, he's wishy-washy, that he can't make up his mind. He says, do I make my plans according to my flesh? Do I do what pleases me? He's asking them, do I regularly go back on what I say? And he plays on the words of Jesus here. When Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He says, am I ready to say to you yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? So when he says that, he's saying both are negated. So 
I, I didn't mean any, either one of them really is what he's saying. At the end of the chapter, he tells them why he did not come right away, which reveals the goal of his planning, of why he changed his mind. 2 Corinthians 1.23. But I call God to witness against me. And just above that, we'll see it in a moment, he, he uses legal terms, and here he's using a court of law image. I, I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Now, we'll get into this more in the weeks to come, but, but they, they hadn't listened to him before. In fact, he'd written them again. He says, not that we lord over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. So Paul is saying it was better that he refrain from coming at that moment. And here's the ultimate desire and confidence that Paul has. For you stand firm in your faith. That is the goal of Christ-centered planning. That, that, that God's people would stand firm in their faith. Now, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. That doesn't happen accidentally. It happens as the result of a Christ-centered message. Verses 18 to 22 contain the thesis statement for the next few chapters. Really, you could argue the entire letter. This is packed with gospel truth, he says. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. So his confidence in the gospel message does not rest with Paul. It rests with God himself. See it? As surely as God is faithful. Because God is faithful, we don't proclaim a wishy-washy, vacillating message. Now, this is a huge challenge in a vacillating culture. In a culture that's moving from one emphatic truth to another. And in fact, right now, I know you're with me, I'm completely confused. Who do we believe right now? Everybody's emphatic, everybody's right, but they're all saying something different. Here, here is the impact of the Bible, is this consistent truth that we find. This God is faithful to us, that Paul proclaims this clear, faithful gospel message of Christ. It is the only reliable gospel. Verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ. This is the only time Paul uses this, these two phrases together in the New Testament. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you. So Paul's saying, I, I've preached this gospel among you already. And then he draws on his mission team. Silvanus, Timothy, and I this is what we proclaimed, and it was not yes and no. But in him, this gospel is always yes. And he said, what does that mean? He defines it, verse 20. 
For the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Speaking of a wishy-washy culture, several years ago, I, I was shamed pretty heavily for being confrontational with a Charlotte pastor who, when asked about John 14, 6, is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life, his answer was yes and no. And I spoke very directly about it because it was a very public situation. We live in a culture that wants the yes and no. But Jesus is the truth. He is the yes. He's not a yes and no. He is the Son of God. And the Son of God certainly would not vacillate and say yes and no at the same time. And as a result, Paul's saying... He and his co-workers would not preach Christ's gospel to the Corinthians and then an alternate form or affirmation and deny the very thing that they preached. They're saying Christ is the fulfillment that all the promises find their yes in him. John Calvin said he is the head, he is the sum, he is the finale, he is the consummation of all spiritual doctrine. Now, Paul draws a sharp contrast with the multiplicity of the promises and the fulfillment that all of these promises of God have their yes in God's Son, Jesus Christ. There is no promise that finds its fulfillment outside of Jesus Christ. So apart from Him or outside of Christ, the promises of Scripture would remain fragmentary, that they would remain unanswered. But in Christ, they are yes. Paul begins his epistle to the Romans in a similar way. Romans chapter 1. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Paul says that is why through him, through Christ, we utter our amen to God for his glory. Now, <clears throat> this amen is not God's word in Jesus. This amen is the verbal response that arises from those who have been given the gift of salvation. It is a word of faith. It is the word of hope. It is a word of glory. It is anticipation of that which is yet to be revealed, that God's saving yes in the crucified and risen Christ does not return to him empty, but creates a reception in the heart and life of the believer that produces thanksgiving and faith saying, amen. 
in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. So this is when you need to be here. So like I'm preaching, amen, I'm thinking, is anybody getting this or not? And I can't see the Facebook feed of amen or not. So, whew. Anyway, I'll go back to preaching. Uh, in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. No one. No one can affirm it with the amen apart from the Holy Spirit. And that is why gospel ministry confidently trusts in the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ. That is, confirms, makes solid, secures. He cements it in place. He establishes us with you in Christ. This is the doctrine of the union with Christ, that we are in Christ. Not just me, if I'm a Christian, you, we all are in Christ. This is an indissoluble union. It cannot be taken away that we are confirmed and established in him. Christ, that is the anointed one, the one commissioned and set apart by God to accomplish our salvation. Now look at this play on words. Who's a, with you in Christ and has anointed us. So Christ means anointed one, and he has anointed us. He has set us apart. He has commissioned us by God. And he has put his seal on us. That is an indication of ownership. It's a stamp on us to say, these are my people. And he has given us in his spirit, given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The word guarantee here means down payment. So this seal and down payment are legal terms, like a seal on a document to say this is mine, this belongs to me. The guarantee is a down payment, a promise of what is to come. Ephesians chapter 1 describes this similarly. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire it, to the praise of his glory. So this is a purposeful down payment in the hearts and lives of God's people, his church. The Holy Spirit is the power of gospel ministry. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as this seal and guarantee, this anointing is placed on the people of God, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Brothers and sisters, we must not turn to human ingenuity in the modern age to seek to accomplish the work of God. We must continue to depend on the one who has saved us, who has set us apart, and who has empowered us to carry out his work in the world by engaging ourselves in gospel ministry. And let me remind you what I meant and said. That gospel ministry is service to others according to the dictates of Scripture. And there's more than I can give right now. 
It's service to others according to the dictates of Scripture in the name of Jesus Christ. So clearly done for the sake of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by human wisdom and flesh, and not for us, but for the glory of God. So here's my question today. Are we engaged in gospel ministry? Right now, today, are we engaged in gospel ministry? You could ask it, am I engaged in gospel ministry? But this letter was written to a church. This is for us, the body of Christ. So let's ask this question. Is our ministry centered on Christ? Is our ministry trusting in the work of the Holy Spirit? I want to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul lays down really his thesis statement for 1 Corinthians. And I would argue he's still maintaining that thesis when you get to 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 2, beginning with verse 1, he says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I've already mentioned earlier that in our current situation, there are competing voices everywhere. So is quarantine the way to deal with COVID-19? Or is, should we allow herd immunity to play out? Should you wear a mask or should you not wear a mask? You could go on and on with these competing voices that we're hearing over and over again. But there's a competing voice within the church right now. And I'm not talking about Parkwood. I'm talking about within the church in this area, within the, in the church in, in the U.S. I preached a sermon last week on the need to gather, and others were preaching sermons in the same week on why we must never uh, disobey the law of the government. So which is it? Who knew? Who knew? that a disease or a virus was going to force us to ask such questions about gospel ministry? Who knew? I certainly didn't. So here's what appears to be the competing voices. That engaging in gospel ministry right now says, be the church while loving your neighbors by staying home and connecting online. Now, I repeat over again, I'm not saying that some should not stay home because some should. Your immune system requires it. But how, brothers and sisters, how, how are we going to serve others by the dictates of Scripture according to the gospel of Christ by the power of the Spirit to the glory of God at home? I'm not arguing today for our meetings. That, that's not my argument today. I am afraid of what we're doing 
more than I'm afraid of COVID. People are scared of each other now. You go to the grocery store, nobody will get close to you. My wife came home. It's the first time she'd been in a few weeks. She came home the other day. Celeste said, it's eerie. Nobody's speaking at the grocery store. Nobody's saying a word. This is a unique moment in time for the church. And what, what she must do is to prayerfully consider how she rises to meet this. Here's my prayer today. My prayer is that when this is over, that we can say that we remained engaged in gospel ministry. That's my prayer. In my reading this week was this quote. And, and, and I want you to hear this. I, I end, this is a very positive quote. I'm not down on you, brothers and sisters. I'm struggling with this question myself. Deeply burdened myself. But I can say this going into this crisis with confidence about this church. Quote, Supposing then that a church maintains a faithful gospel ministry, the minister and the people should be mutually thankful. Indeed, they ought to rejoice in one another, even as they certainly will when Christ appears. Let them be grateful that they have been allowed to enjoy such a relationship. I am grateful for you, brothers and sisters. I'm grateful to be a part of what God is doing in and through this local church. And may we continue to pray together and to seek together to answer the question, how will we engage in gospel ministry in such a time as this? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for speaking to us today. I confess that you are faithful and that your word to us, O oh God, has not been yes and no, but yes in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who has been proclaimed to us. And for all who have believed, we say amen. And we recognize, oh God, that your promises have been fulfilled in Christ. And Holy Spirit, that you have established us and anointed us and you have put your seal on us and you have been placed in our hearts as a guarantee. So Lord, I pray that you would do your work in us and through us for your sake and for your glory. Lord, lift our heads to see what is happening around us today, not through the filter of the news, but through the filter of your word, and cause us to rise to this occasion and to give ourselves to gospel ministry, and that to the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.